Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. Joining me now for Every Day is Earth Day, we have Wendy Caldwell. She is the executive director of Monarch Joint Venture, a nonprofit organization based in Minnesota that is building a national partnership of federal and state agencies and other nonprofits, as well as community groups, businesses, and academic programs to work together to conserve monarch butterflies and other pollinators, especially important as it was just last week when the monarch Butterfly came one step closer to extinction as scientists put the iconic orange and black insect on the endangered list because of its dwindling numbers. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. Well, I can imagine that news came as a sad realization of what you probably already know is happening as the monarch butterfly has been dwindling and you've been a part of Monarch Joint Venture. It was. It's disheartening to know that this familiar insect that we all know and love has reached such a point of decline that it warrants this kind of international designation as as endangered. So it, it didn't come as a complete surprise. We've known, you know, with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and our U.S. Endangered Species Act, we know that monarchs are on this path for endangered species listing. But it's still it's it's still sad to know that they're at that point. Now you are what's part of what's called Monarch Joint Venture. You are a nonprofit organization. What is that organization all about? We're a a network, a national partnership network. So we work with now over 120 organizations all across the U.S. that range from local volunteer-led groups all the way up to state and federal natural resource agencies and businesses and researchers and academic institutions. And our role in that is to help coordinate these partners for the betterment of monarchs and other pollinators. And so we help them to be the boots on the ground to get conservation actions out for monarchs and pollinators, whether it's creating habitat or educating and inspiring the next generation or contributing in research and monitoring, getting volunteers out to help us collect data everywhere. Well, I'm aware of a number of efforts that have been going on to mark or I guess band. It's like bird banding, but it's you put like little sticky dots or something on monarchs to count them. So the, the sticky dots, that's called tagging. Okay. And that's actually how we originally discovered the overwintering sites of monarchs in Mexico was a tagged butterfly from here in Minnesota was recovered in in Mexico in the overwintering reserve. And now a group out of called Monarch Watch out of Kansas runs that tagging program. So volunteers across North America are putting little stickers on the wings of butterflies and in hopes that they'll be recovered somewhere down the line. What about the other group that's there's some disease or something that, that the butterflies can get that is being monitored as well? Yeah, that's called Monarch Project Monarch Health. And there um, is a really small microscopic parasite, a protozoan parasite that, that monarchs get. It's naturally occurring. But we have to be careful that we don't inadvertently spread this disease. And we want to know how it's affecting the population because monarchs that have this parasite really aren't able to successfully migrate. And so then volunteers actually take a small sample of the butterfly's scales using a piece of tape, and they send that sample in, you know, just 
collect some sample, uh, some scales from the butterfly's abdomen, stick it onto a piece of paper, and they send it to researchers at the University of Georgia to look for this parasite and see if it's if it's present there. So there's obviously a That's lot of a lot of interest in the monarch, and I think it's because the monarch is so beautiful. It's so iconic. It's not the only insect, though, however, that's in danger. But I wanted to ask you, Wendy, a little about what is the plight of the butterfly? Where have we come from and where are we now that it's listed as endangered? How far ago was it that we weren't thinking, even thinking we had issues? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we've known po- monarch populations have been declining for a few decades. And so we've seen this downward trajectory over time as we lost a lot of especially in the years of land conversion, where we were seeing lands converted for agriculture and urban development, and then the onset of herbicide-tolerant crop technologies. You know, then all of a sudden, this milkweed habitat that used to be abundant in our agricultural fields was lost as this more effective technology was able to eliminate weeds from, from row crops. And so we've seen this monarch population decline over the course of a few decades. Um, and so really, we aren't experiencing that same level of habitat loss today than we saw a decade ago, but the population isn't recovering. And so we're, we see these natural ups and downs in monarch population. And so just last year, the eastern population was at, um, we measure the population in Mexico, and last year's population was was about three hectares of of area occupied in these forests in central Mexico, and where we'd like that to be is at six hectares, so double the size of last year. And and so even though in the last handful of years the population did reach six hectares, it quickly went back down, teetering below that that threshold. And so we're seeing some natural ups and downs in the population, but the long-term trend continues to decline. Do you have any numbers? I mean, are we talking from millions to thousands, or give us a perspective? So that that hectares number represents kind of a broad range. There's some uncertainty around what that number represents, because it's, it, it's an area of forest occupied by millions of monarchs. And so you'll see um, kind of estimates from anywhere from 10 to 30 million butterflies per one hectare. So I think on average, about 20 million monarchs per per hectare in Mexico. Where do they go? Can you explain a little bit about the migratory process? I know because a lot of times we all look forward to in here in Minnesota, seeing them on our milkweed and, and see the chrysalises. A lot of times kids will bring them inside and watch them hatch and let release them again. How do they get here? Where do they go? And just a little bit about their their lifestyle. Yeah, so that's also a great question. So there are about four to five generations of monarchs in a year. The monarchs that migrate in the fall actually make the entire journey south to central Mexico. So they do the journey south in one generation, and they start to leave these northern parts of their range, like Minnesota, starting around August 15th. So for the latter part of August through September, we're seeing monarchs migrating, moving south. They make it all the way to Mexico, spend the winter there, and then those same butterflies actually start the journey north in the spring. So 
around early March, they're leaving the overwintering grounds in Mexico, um, and then they make it as far north as about Texas, where they will lay their eggs on milkweed, and it's that their offspring that will continue the journey north again in the spring. And so we see one generation move south, and then it takes it takes a few generations to complete the northward migration. So here in Minnesota, we see monarchs arrive usually somewhere between May 15th and June 1st, and kind of depends on, on the spring that we have. And then some of the monarchs that are moving through Minnesota in the spring will continue to move north until early June, reaching as far north as southern Canada. And then we'll see these breeding generations that stay stay locally in the summer months, in the growing season, we produce a few of those breeding generations, ultimately giving rise again to that fall migratory generation that will move south. I've had a lot of Master Gardener friends say that they just have not seen very many monarchs this year at all. Is that the case? Is it because of the spring or what is is that attributed to? Yeah, it's, it's, that's been a, a common observation that we've heard as well um, and that I experienced locally in my yard um south of the south of the twin cities but we saw so i i would say that i saw very few monarchs early in the summer but now i'm actually seeing quite a few relative to what i was seeing last month and so we don't always have enough information you know because monarchs can use one spot heavily and not you know completely miss another one it's hard to it's hard to really gauge how the entire population is doing based on just what we're seeing in our backyards. And so that's a big reason why we rely on those overwintering data in Mexico, because that's where we can count the butterflies consistently in one pretty small geographic area. I think it's too early to tell whether or not it's going to be a good or bad year for monarchs, but I, I, I have heard similar sentiments that people are seeing fewer monarchs this year than they have in the past. But the fact that the International Union for the Conservation of Nature has red-listed the monarch on the threatened species and categorized it as endangered, which is basically two steps from being extinct, does indicate that this is a trend. And while we can have those ups and downs, it's continuing to decline. And one of the statistics I saw that they said the monarch butterfly populations in North America has declined between 22 and 72 percent over 10 years, depending on how you measure them. Yep, it's a continuing decline. And we need all hands on deck to recover their populations. How do we do that? I mean, you're obviously with an organization that wants to preserve them and have some, some suggestions, I hope. Yeah, definitely. We And just to acknowledge up front that it, it's not just about monarchs. You know, monarchs are yes. one species indicating broader declines of, of pollinators that we need to support our food systems. And so everything that we do to conserve monarchs is really as that flagship for broader conservation, pollinator conservation, conservation in general. All of those, all of the work that we do is important beyond monarchs, but certainly the best thing we can do for monarchs is to create and protect more habitat. And that habitat needs to include milkweed. Uh, Milkweed is the only host plant that monarch caterpillars can eat. And so without it, we won't have monarchs. But we also need that habitat to have blooming flowers throughout the growing season. So from the time monarchs get here in the spring or or insects are coming out in the spring 
They need that nectar to, to fuel their bodies. Um, all the way through the late fall when we're fueling monarchs up for their migration south to Mexico, we need to have abundant wildflowers to, to feed those butterflies. So habitat's the best thing that we can do. We talked a little bit about different community science volunteer opportunities. So there are cool programs out there that people can get involved in to help us understand what monarchs are doing, where they are, how abundant they are. So we rely on volunteers to do that. Um, and there are lots of great programs to get involved in and certainly just helping to spread the word. It's interesting how often we hear that people didn't realize that monarchs were in such decline. And so just helping helping to spread the word and educate that we all need to be part of the solution is is a great way to to get started. So is a monarch basically one of those more indicator insects that people maybe notice more visible? Exactly. Yep. And now you mentioned that they live solely on milkweed, but what is, what is the, earlier in the spring, there's no milkweed. So what are they surviving on earlier on? Or, or are you talking other pollinators that need the earlier blooms? Yeah, other pollinators. So monarchs migrate because they can't survive mm-hmm. winter here, but many insects spend the winter here and are coming out earlier in the spring. And so they need those really early season resources. Usually by the time monarchs get to where they're going, there's milkweed up. And so before the middle of May, when monarchs get here to Minnesota, they're using milkweed in all the other states south of us. And so, yeah, really they're in search of that milkweed and following that milkweed north. But we need to be considerate of all of the insects that hang out here for the winter and and, and are looking for food as soon as they start to become more active with the spring thaw. So, Wendy, Monarch Joint Venture has a great website that talks a little bit about monarchs, but also the importance of pollinators as well. Are there things on there that people could look up to find out how they could become more involved? Yeah, our website is a wealth of information on monarchs, pollinators, how to get involved. Um, there's there's a page that kind of helps depending on who you are, whether you're a business owner or just want to garden in your backyard. There are pages that kind of help explain. I think I think the page is called Who Are You? It curates this information to help to help you kind of dive into the the first resources to get started and make a difference for monarchs and pollinators. We have great webinars, a whole series of webinars on a lot of different topics and informational handouts that you can use in getting up to speed and helping helping others learn more as well. So just a, a wealth of information on monarchjointventure.org. Okay, that's good to know, monarchjointventure.org. If the monarch butterfly, now listed as endangered, should become extinct, what does that mean? Well, that means our our pollinators are in trouble. So if a common and familiar species like the monarch butterfly is no longer with us, then that means that that some of our even more important pollinators, you know, to be honest, monarchs aren't the most effective pollinators, even though that's their categorization. Um, But if they're indicating broader pollinator population declines, then that has much bigger implications for our food systems and the, the crops that rely on pollinators to, to be successful and put foods on our, food on our tables. 
And so, you know, if we lose a species like the monarch butterfly, it's going to it's it's going to come with really important and big implications. How much is attributed to climate change versus chemicals and loss of habitat? Yeah, there's no perfect breakdown of any one factor being more or less harmful. It's just this combination of lots of threats and monarchs have different needs and different pieces of in different parts of their annual cycle. So their overwintering sites in Mexico to their breeding grounds in Minnesota, they have different needs. And so they they need well-timed and abundant resources. And so where we've lost habitat from land conversion and, and pesticide use threatening monarchs is definitely a factor, but also climate change disrupts the timing of what monarchs need when they need it. And so if they arrive somewhere before the milkweed emerges or got there too early and then the milkweed freezes or have massive drought conditions or severe storms in Mexico that kill lots of butterflies, all of that's changing and happening more severely and more frequently with climate change. All of that has huge potential to to continue to decline in the monarch population. And so a lot of different factors are all playing on each other. And, you know, we we have to do everything that we can to keep moving forwards and, and not continue to take steps backwards. Wendy, I'm a part of the 4-H pollinators. I help do some advising for the group of 4-Hers. And recently we just planted over 300 native plants in a park here in in Upper North Mankato. So that's just a small thing. Are those really making a difference or are we just making ourselves feel good that we're doing something? How do you feel about people, you know, we're doing these pollinator plantings, I've done pollinator plantings, and maybe they're not that big, but do they really make a difference? They do. I And I will say, you know, two things. The small habitats do make a difference, especially if we if we can get everyone to do that. You know, many small gardens in a neighborhood can make a huge difference for monarchs, not just in our local communities, but across the migratory corridors. And I will also say that I got my start in 4-H. So sometimes (laughs) in in insect conservation, it was that 4-H insect collection that inspired me to to get more into, to spend my career, to pursue a career in insect conservation. And, and so it's that experience that helped me to care for and just get more involved in, in nature in general. And so I will just shout out to 4-H as a really powerful tool in inspiring the next generation. I'm glad to hear that because I feel the same way. It's a, a very good way to get young people like yourself involved and, and continuing to realize how important it is to, to continue the good work that you are doing to date and Wendy so that's wonderful is there such a thing in Minnesota I've heard this before that you need a pathway for the monarchs so just because I have my own little thing here in Mankato doesn't mean that the rest of the state can be lax isn't there somehow they have to follow a path of these pollination fields so to speak to maintain their populations I would say in general it's better to have connected habitats you know so that there's generally a path that they can follow. For a species like the monarch, they're migratory. They fly a lot. <laughs> they're moving across the landscape all the time. So they can still find mm. a little oasis of habitat among a desert of corn and soybeans. 
But so it's not as important for monarchs as it is for some of our other pollinators and wildlife species that really need that connectivity. So in general, we try to keep habitat corridors connected as much as possible. It's just for monarchs, we definitely encourage and and people to plant habitat anywhere and everywhere that they can. You know what, I think I'm thinking of the Rusty Patch Bumblebee, which was also listed as endangered because I did a Lawns to Legume program, and that was one of the things that where they selected people to get these grants was based on where their location was because of that. So that's what I think I might be thinking of right now. Yeah, and effectively the habitat is, is, is very similar, right? Rusty Patch Habitat is also Monarch Habitat, and Monarch Habitat can be Rusty Patch Habitat. And so we're trying to get those multiple benefits from each acre of habitat that we can. Is there anything you're doing different now that this news has come out that the monarch butterflies are listed as endangered? Did that change your strategy at all? Does it make you ramp anything up or are you pretty much stay the course? It's definitely growing awareness and so we're we're excited for that. Um, I will clarify that even though that the IUCN, the international listing, as endangered doesn't provide the same protections as our U.S. Endangered Species Act, which is on track for that decision came in December of 2020 that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service felt that monarch butterflies were warranted for listing but precluded by other higher priority species. And so we expect the U.S. Endangered Species Act listing to come in the in 2024. Oh. And so we've, we've been preparing for this. We've seen the declines and we've been preparing for these, these protections under something like the U.S. Endangered Species Act. The international listing continues to reinforce the need, the science showing these declines and helps to spread awareness and interest and commitment in conserving monarchs and pollinators before it's too late. Is there something we can do then? Should we talk to our legislators about doing something or maybe make it so they realize that it's urgent because there aren't the protections that that you mentioned that we should have? Yeah, advocating at local levels. Sometimes it's, it's even as simple as homeowners associations limit the plants that you can use in your landscaping. And so starting there, advocating at the state or regional or national levels for pollinator friendly practices is great as well. From big to small, I think all efforts count in starting in your backyard or on your porch. If that's all that you have, we can all contribute to monarch and pollinator conservation. We have been chatting with Wendy Caldwell, who is with Monarch Joint Venture, with headquarters in Minnesota, but you are spread throughout the United States, correct? Yes. Anything else you'd like to add to our discussion for Every Day is Earth Day? Just thanks for having me. It's been great to be with you. Well, thank you so much, and we will be in touch. Hopefully, we'll have better news next time we talk. Yeah, sounds great. Thank, thank you, you so much, Wendy. Bye-bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner, member NCUA, more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Gee.